0: there and welcome to the latest episode of the nudges for social good podcast from the local government association. My name is Rian Gladman and I manage the behaviour change programme here at the LGA and as you know our aim is to demystify behavioural insights and behaviour change and provide practical learning for councils to then take away and try out in their own uh, authority, in their own place. So today we're going to take a slightly different approach and rather than hearing about a council's specific behavioural insights project, we're going to be hearing about the work that a leisure trust is doing to change behaviour at key lifestone milestones, for example maybe losing your job or having a baby. Uh, And I'm joined by Ken Massa, Chief Executive of the Rossendale Leisure Trust. Hi there Ken.
1: Hi, Hi. thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for joining us today, Ken. Um, and over to you, really. I'm really interested to learn more about the approach that you're taking in Rossendale. So, so, over to you to introduce yourself and the work that you've been doing.
1: Okay, great. Well, hi, everyone. My name's Ken. I, uh, <clears throat> as Ian says, I'm Chief Executive of the Ledger Trust, but I also work part time on um, a Sport England project called the Local Delivery Pilots, um, where we work a bit more broadly than Rossendale, right across Pennine Lancashire, which includes Burnley and Pendle and Blackburn, Heimburn and Ribble Valley. Um, and we've been working on this project for about four years or so. And um, really, really innovative approach, I think, from Sport England in terms of the way they've tried to conceive the project and what we're looking at. And so the idea is that we're looking at different ways to approach systems, system change or behaviours within the system being local government, NHS, community partners, leisure trusts, etc. And and specifically how we can change that systemic approach in order to lead more, more people to live more active lifestyles. So I think Sport England found and probably, probably fairly common knowledge really that are, um, there's about 25% of the population nationally roughly who are physically inactive or exercise for less than 30 minutes a week. And that Despite all of Sport England's investment over the last 10, 20, 30 years, that, that kind of proportion hasn't really changed much. And so this new approach from Sport England was to kind of say, rather than funding um, specific programs or projects, let's look at a more um, system-wide approach and a test and learn model to see, well, what could we do differently that might actually move that needle, if you like, on the dial to to reduce overall the level of inactivity? So, um. Yeah, for four years, four years or so, we've been working on that, and we've tried lots of different things. And one of the things, as you mentioned, that's really stuck out to us and been sort of a foundational theory, if you like, or piece of our work, has been this idea that um, you know we we as people have different moments in our lives where things happen, and whilst our lives are unique, those those life course events have some general, you know, there's some commonality there some some general events that tend to happen to people at different stages of life so we all transition from primary school to secondary school for example you know many of us will start a first job many of us will have children many of us may lose a job or become critically ill or become a carer or suffer bereavement so in these different life course moments we've looked at you know does physical activity levels change does does the sense of well-being change in those moments and we found um, that it that it often does and so we've looked at how do we how can we work with that knowledge to try and change the way in which we interact with people to be more well-being focused and less kind of process focused in those moments of transition of people's life. So so very broadly, that's that's the work that we're doing um, in Pennine, and I'm looking forward to discussing it a bit more with you today.
0: That's great, Ken. That's great. I mean. I hear what you're saying there about that systems approach to behavior change and I guess traditionally in the public sector we have looked at individual specific projects that might try a, a nudge or an intervention in one smaller part of the system but what you're talking about is a much more looking across the system and, and a more holistic approach to, to changing behavior I'm just interested to know what have you learned through taking that bigger wider approach so far
1: mm. I mean I think um Yeah, that that wider approach is really based on the premise that people's lives are complicated um, and and there's lots of influences in someone's lives, particularly those who are living in communities, perhaps with um, lower socioeconomic um, opportunities, um, lower sense of well-being and health. And so, you know, sadly, many people are living difficult, pressured, sometimes chaotic lives. And just just focusing on one thing, you know, we we quickly realized by chatting with those people potentially and saying, you know, being physically active could really help you is not that helpful. No matter how we delivered it or what the nudge is, because I'm worried about what I'm gonna give my kids for lunch today. Or my washing machine's broken. I've got no way to fix it. And so, you know, there's all these types of things might be going on in people's lives. Um, and, and so one of the things that we've looked at and learned is, in you know, how as how as the local council and the NHS and GPs and third sector organisations, how can we coordinate, connect and collaborate in a way that enables us to support people in a more holistic way um, that can that can really be life changing and lead to, um, you know, as you said, behaviour change, a different perspective on life and helping them to tackle some of those really Deep-rooted problems and inequalities. Um, and I think we we've learned that um, generally public servants want to help people. So that's been really powerful. And I've been really moved by actually that that kind of deep-rooted sense of wanting to make a difference in communities. But I think we've also learned that we, um, we as kind of public sector are. But very fragmented and disconnected. Even within a council or a CCG, the different departments are not, often don't work together in, in unison, often quite silo based working. And, and some of that comes just from a lack of um, communication and probably I'd say one of the biggest things we've learned from a lack of capacity to think, to really take time to step back and say well we're going through all these motions, processes, policies every day. We're doing different types of work, but when was the last time we sat down for a day and thought about what we're doing, why we're doing it, how are we how are we doing that, and is that the most effective way? Is there a different way, a more connected way? Um, and one of the things that the Sport England project has really given us is the ability to have some capacity, some resource to take some people out of that system. And so within our project team, we have colleagues from the NHS, from local authority, from the third sector, um, seconded in for one or two days a week from all different parts of the system, but given time to think. And probably for the first year, we spent a lot of time just reviewing, assessing, um, learning from other places, understanding what our system looked like in Pennine, Lancashire. What were the different parts? How did they interact? And so that's been a really big learning for us that that um actually and i think probably most people experience this you can go for months if not years sometimes in the same job without really taking some significant time to ponder on whether you whether it's going well um you know if 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 we're doing the right things at the right time and how it could be better and that's not um that's not a sense that people are you know as i say i think public s- servants more than more than perhaps I anticipated when I came into this this field are deeply committed to and passionate about communities but often don't have the time necessarily to consider um, whether there are more effective ways to to uh, tackle the challenges that our communities face so I think those would be some some of the big learnings I mean the other other thing that really stands out to me is that I often hear the phrase um, kind of banded around about communities being hard to reach and that seems to be kind of within our, um, within our, within our sector. We we talk about that a lot. Um, one of the things that we've realized is that um, communities is not hard to reach. Maybe we're just the wrong people to reach them. And um, one one of the things that we've been doing with regards to this life course kind of approach and looking at these uh, moments where the system and life meets, uh, systems and lives meet, is that systems and lives do meet all the time. You know, so if you uh, lose your job, you have, you typically will go to the job centre and, and interact with the system there. Um, if you become ill, you'll interact with your GP. If you start a new job, you'll interact with your HR department, whatever that might be, either private or public sector. Um, when you move house, you'll come into contact with the council regarding council tax or similar. So there's lots of moments where people within our organisations, local government or other public sector organisations are interacting with people all the time, um, but often, very often, we don't, there's no part of that interaction which is based on um, a more holistic approach to the person's well-being. so it tends to be focused on one particular job. I need to do one thing. I need to get this person registered for council tax. I need to uh, prescribe this person with antidepressants. I need to get this person registered on my IT system so they get the relevant information sent out to them. And all, of course, all those things are important, but the conversations very rarely go beyond that. Um, but it's in these moments where people are of high stress or or, or changing circumstances significantly, where the risk of them um, becoming inactive or unwell are the highest um, and, and so we just feel like there's lots of missed opportunities there and that's some of the things that we've been working on um, in recent years
0: and I think you know a lot of the behavioral science literature tells us that those moments of change and transition is when we're most open as, as humans you know as people to forming new habits or doing something different and it's almost, I guess, what you're saying is taking those opportunities of interaction between the system and local residents at those times of change to influence positively behaviour. And, and, and they're almost like golden nuggets. They are really positive points that you can start to do that. And obviously, we've got councils who've, there are many examples of where people move house and move into the local area, registering to vote, registering for council tax, free swimming passes. It used to be free gym passes. Um you want to come to a community lunch when you know where I moved into my local council a couple of years ago so there are those examples of those individual bits of the system but I guess what you're talking about is a much more looking around the whole system around the whole of a person and not just having one one one-offs is it more of
1: that sort of approach is that fair yeah Yeah, I think yeah absolutely and it and it's And it's those one-offs but in a coordinated structured way and so that they're not one-offs so that there's um there's that you say that wrap around sense of support to local residents so i think that's that's one part of what we're doing the other the other part is actually connecting the system to itself um so that you know not only not only are we because there's something about behavior changing communities right that we're looking for for people potentially to change their behavior or approaches in order to be happier or you know more successful or more self-reliant or resilient whatever it might be but there's also i think to achieve that we need to change the our behavior within the system um and one of our principles is that um yeah, one of my personal views is that, you know, the system, system, our place systems, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Systems don't exist in that way. Um, it's just a collection of people who um, have perspectives and attitudes and beliefs. And then those people make decisions um, and then they potentially make decisions together based on a variety of forces or um, pressures. But if you, but the only way the system will change is if we as people are changing. Um new attitudes, new approaches becoming more aware, more understanding, more empathic, more um, connected, more collaborative, whatever it might be so those the ways in which we we interact as colleagues within public sector and local government um that can change, and I sometimes think we perhaps don't realize the power that that change can have, and i don't and we don't necessarily mean change a policy or a process, necessarily only that but actually the, the how it's applied, um, the behavior of the people who are applying it. So you can you can decide I'm going to consult on, I'm going to consult on whether we should launch a new um, lunchtime club for residents, for example, um, in your example. But there's lots of ways to do that. One way is to send a letter. Another way would be to ring you up. A different way might be to knock on your door and talk to you about it. Um, another way might be to have resident resident connectors within the community who actually go and connect with residents on their streets um you know so there's lots of different ways to do things and the how things are done i think is really important in the way in which we really engage with and interact with each other and 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 communities so i think one of the things that we're learning is that Yes, there's behaviour changing communities that we can influence through our nudges, through our interactions, through taking these opportunities in a coordinated way um, to interact more holistically with with um, residents. But there's also this sense that, um, you know, what can we change in terms of the how we approach things in our in our in our work? in our systems, in our interactions between departments and councils in our interactions with community groups, voluntary sector organisations and others. Um, and so I mean, I maybe give you an example of what I mean that might help. So we we did some work with the Department for Work and Pensions and, um, you know, that, that work is ongoing. It's been interrupted quite significantly because of COVID, uh, um, you know, and, and job centres were really focused on quite rightly on supporting people in a very hands on way during COVID. but. I mean, be, be, before pre, pre-Covid, we did um, a range of work with them where we looked at how they engage with their customers. And um, the first thing we did is a customer engagement event. We had about 100 um, Job Centre customers come along to um, a job centre in Pennine, Lancashire. And we, we did some activities with them, quite uh, interactive activities where they were playing things like hopscotch. They were talking about. What activity did I, did I used to enjoy when I was growing up and sort of a going through the decades sort of game where they were looking at um, different things. We, we had map exercises where they put pins in the different places that they might go, talked about how they travel, whether it's by bus on foot or bike or whatever it might be. Um, we did an activity where they could write on the whiteboard, on a big whiteboard, what they, the one thing they would change if they could be the boss of the job centre for a day. So we did all this interaction with them, and these were people who were um, long term unemployed and the, and the job centre DWP hadn't interacted with um, for months, if not years. So they were long term um, claimants. And, um, you know, we, we, we learned that by putting on a different type of activity that was very thoughtfully designed so that it was easy to access, so that it wasn't um, scary or difficult so it tried to overcome those barriers that potentially a job centre event might uh, evoke from people who were who have been long-term unemployed and people were able to open up and express themselves in a way that they felt that that they had never been able to before so we did an engagement event but how we did it was really important in terms of what we were able to then get out of it from customers. So, so with, they've probably done engagement events before, where people came in and filled in a form or had a one-to-one conversation with the job coach, who, you know, maybe they've had a difficult relationship with in the past or whatever. Um, so we did something quite different, and and then we did staff engagement events, where we talked to the to the work coaches about the feedback of the the feedback that come through those that session with customers, but also some techniques and um, ideas for how they could interact with. Customers differently, um, and and the final stage then is we did some work with with the um, with the with the part of the Job Centre DWP who particularly support those with disability living allowance. Um, uh, just to think about how could they interact with those people differently who tend to be long term claimants of of support and build better relationships in order to actually focus on well-being. How could we support these people to improve their well-being and potentially then with that long term, improve their um, ability to work in a setting that would be right for them? Um, then COVID hit and that and that work in truth all paused. Um, but as since in, in recent time co- come back and particularly with the with the the, the, co- the cohort of job centre staff working with those um, with disability allowance. And, and I, I, I excuse me if I'm not quite getting some of the terminology here right around um, DWP, but. Um, <clears throat> you Know that they've decided now to hold quarterly well being workshops for all their claimants open drop ins in community settings, not in the job center, and um, where people can come along and um, interact and get some peer support between each other, but also interact with 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 staff from the job center, but specifically focused around well-being. Um, and so th- that's maybe a good example of where we're looking at how we interact with customers, but also changing the how we do things within our system. And the other thing that they're doing with DWP that they don't, perhaps in, in our area, haven't done as well in the past, is at, at those well-being workshops, there will be all of their partners, um, voluntary organisations, third sector organisations, charities and statutory partners who have a role in supporting the people in this cohort um, and bringing them together as well, all in a a space just to have informal connections, conversations and try to unlock some of these barriers and challenges that people face specifically around their well-being. So those two things, they're changing the system and trying to change the interaction throughout the behaviour of the individuals. When those two things align, that's when we're seeing a lot of really interesting um, progress, if you like, and, and things becoming better, both for system partners, employees who are happier, feel more satisfied, feel like they're making a bigger difference in a more engaging, natural way. And then residents who feel like they're actually being heard, listened to, treated in a humane and holistic way with 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 um colleagues who really are trying to understand what life is like rather than applying a standardized process you know to the to those people so that that's probably one of the examples that that kind of brings those two things together
0: so i guess to, to summarize really this project or this approach has given you and the project team like you say some thinking time to stand back Think about the system, think about people's interactions holistically, and then to almost think about how we can change the behaviour of the public sector workforce in how they're engaging with local residents at these very stressful times, transition points. to so, to think you know to have a very different conversation, a different interaction and understand more about where people are coming from, how how they experience these services. So it's not just trying to change local behavior; you're changing the public, work, public sector workforce behavior as well in that interaction. Um, and now you're having those conversations about well-being, which my assumption would be wouldn't have been happening before this project. It would have been very much the as you say. From we've gone from a process approach here to a more well-being approach because obviously losing your job, trying to find a job, has a huge impact on your well-being. And now that is starting to be acknowledged and addressed
1: through this project. Is that fair? Yeah, that's that's a good summary. Um, and I think, yeah, and it's really exciting. And and fair to say that we, you know, there's still a long way to go yet. You know, we've not yeah. accomplished even a, a small part, probably, of all of the, all of the stuff that we've seen that could be different, um, and could be better. But yeah, that, that's a good summary of where we've been and where we're heading. And 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 we're gaining a lot of really good traction with partners for the scope of what could be accomplished. And and it feels, I think maybe particularly as we come out of COVID, it feels really invigorating and and really ambitious and really exciting. To and and the changes that we're seeing that are effective are ones that are, it's much more enjoyable to work this way as well. You know, it feels much more rewarding. Um, uh, and we're and we're getting a sense of that from from partners who we're working with as well. Is, is this is not only potentially a more effective way to work and a more effective way to support communities, but a happier one? And I think that's really important. You know, particularly in the public sector, particularly post-pandemic, like life life's hard for a lot of people, and, and we need to perhaps try and find a, a bit more joy in our in our working lives and get back to that point of why we joined you know, the public sector workforce in the, in the first place t- to make a difference and to make our places better if we can and to support local people. So I think that's an important part of it as well.
0: And so you say the project's starting to get back on track at the moment, the DWP one, a key thing we always get asked about and is how are we going to measure the success of our behavioural interventions, how you measure those outcomes? Can you say a bit more about your plans to to sort of measure the success of of the project as you go forward?
1: Yeah, I think there's probably um, three three layers to our evaluation really. The first is kind of population level data, so so we're specifically focused on physical activity, but um, and so Sport England do do something called the Active Lives Survey, um, which looks at physical activity, exercise, and sport in a in a pretty you know, very large sample size all, all across the country and, and a lot of uh, resource and expertise goes into that. So we're, so we're monitoring that. Um, we, we're also partnered with Liverpool University who are doing um, sort of whole population data analysis for Pennine Lancashire on all kinds of things. Hospital admissions, all sorts of different stuff, trying to look for um, Trends particularly with the cohorts of working people that we're working with that that said, I think there's a recognition within our project team that um to shift kind of whole population data um, you know takes time and you know and and it's it's hard to measure sort of whole population shifts, particularly with the impact of covid so but but we are looking at that. The second thing that we are um doing is um, an evaluation technique called ripple effect mapping. So we are working um, with, with partners to regularly kind of proactively review the work that they've done, the things that they've learned, the changes that they've made, but also the knock-on effects that that might have had at other parts of the system. So this idea of ripple effects. And um, there's some really good work coming out of Bristol Um, and and Sheffield and others are working on, and and our team in Pennine are looking at how do we effectively sort of map these ripple effects so that we can see what difference this is having um, at different layers of the system. And and a lot of that is qualitative, um, but a a formal process of of reviewing and reflection. Um, and, and, And the third thing really that we're doing is trying to evaluate Um, in a a really qualitative way, the experience of people working within or impacted by the project itself. So um, we are trying to evaluate, you know, what are the types of behaviours? What are the types of personality traits, the characteristics, the approaches of people working in the system who are trying to lead change? Um, What are the types of things? that those people either are or that they do, which, which effectively leads to changed attitudes, behaviours, approaches, mindsets. So um, we've just started doing some work, probably in the last six months or so, looking at um, those kind of characteristic traits, but also the behaviours that enable change um, and, and kind of collating those qualitatively, but on mass. So so talking to everyone who is involved with or connected to the project and trying to draw out common themes in terms of the types of behaviors, character and approaches, sort of skills um, that people typically tend to have who are being effective in the space in terms of driving change. So I think those are the three. Those are probably the three layers of evaluation. So the population wide stuff we're really looking at. the changes that are occurring within the system and what those changes lead to in terms of ripple effect mapping and then looking at the behaviours that people have.
0: So Ken what you're looking to do there you're looking to not only evaluate the behaviour change outcomes across local communities but also the behaviour change the traits the characteristics of those public sector or those public servants and how they're able to uh, make behavior change happen as well. So you're looking at it both externally and internally, and I think that would be really uh, interesting. I'd be keen to share that across our local government colleagues as well, particularly that piece around the workforce. So that sounds sounds excellent. Are there any other, you know, it's a DWP, you know, workforce example. Are there any other examples you'd like to share of this approach that you're taking?
1: Um, I think uh, pr- pr- probably Two that spring to mind that I think have been really interesting and particularly applicable, perhaps to local government colleagues. So, so, the first we've been doing a really, a really exciting piece of work, specifically in Rossendale, but that is now, um, blossoming across all of Pennine with with schools and particularly primary schools, um. Looking at um, levels of physical physical activity within the primary school setting, um. And and that's something, you know, sports premium funding and others. There's a lot of work that goes into sport and exercise and physical activity within schools. The work that we've been doing is to uh, assess and look at what, are, what. What's happening at a strategic level, at sort of the SLT level within a school, but also within the school's um, development plans and strategic plans with regards to physical activity and well-being. So um, in, in our place, in particular, um, schools had a lot of third party groups coming in to support PE and sport coaching and things like that. Um, and that was that was a, a positive model for bringing PE and physical activity and sport into primary schools. But we really wanted to look at kind of what is the what difference does it make if strategically the leaders within a, within school settings have a, um, a different or a new or a deeper sense of priority for, for physical activity and well being. And so we we managed to bring together a, a program called Ready Set Rossendale, which is part of part of the local delivery pilot. Um, we we found a head teacher who's really passionate about physical activity and wellbeing in schools and we gave him some capacity, some time and capacity to think about how how could we um, change the sort of strategic priorities or support head teachers to think differently about physical activity and sport in school. Um, and together we managed to bring together all of those 30, I think there's 32 primary schools in Rossendale, so we're a fairly small borough, but it brought together all 32 head teachers plus the six high school head teachers, um, on, for a series of sessions where we talked about, you know, what, what difference would it make or how could we change the way in which we work for physical activity, not to be a curriculum subject only, you know, that's physical education, but how can physical activity run throughout the school day? And how can what were the benefits of that? And how in practice can that be implemented? So so we um, th- through this series of workshops looked at things like the strategic plan for schools and, and whether physical activity was a priority. Um, we looked, we we talked about and shared lots of good practice around Um, embedding physical activity across the curriculum. So how can how can maths be more physically active? How can science be more physically active? And so looking at, you know, how can we take different elements of the maths curriculum into the playground and and do interactive physical things that might make it actually easier for children to understand some some principles or various perspectives on something relating to maths or any curriculum subject, really, you know, looked at forest schools, but it's expanding forest school to be more embedded in the science curriculum, for example. Um, so, so we did a lot of that work and some really good work emerging from that. And we've, we've built on partnered and connected with some very exciting what they're doing in Bradford around young people. And um, they've developed a framework called the Creating Active Schools framework, which is this idea of how do we take the whole school? Let's not fix PE. PE. PE might need some some input. PE might could maybe be improved in different schools on a school by school basis. But actually, actually, how do you create an active school environment rather than um, an active moment within the school week? You know, So a really good PE lesson twice a week is not the same as having an active school environment. Um, And and the final piece of work that we're just in the middle of now is then we we offered we offered a middle leaders development program for kind of aspiring members of the senior leadership team um, and and are doing a year long project with them, a kind of personal career development project looking at physical activity and the way in which they may be able to um, take a more strategic approach to to well-being in schools. And a lot of that work then has been about layering in support of GP and partners, um, working more closer with the public health department in 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 the county council, um, and as as well being more connected not only within the school network but then with again with these other partners, community partners with parents and others. Um, you know, so other elements of that project are things like opening school grounds primary school grounds up for communities to be able to use the field to play rounders or have a picnic in the on a Saturday afternoon. so a whole range of work streams so that would be one um, the The other that we've done, but again, paused slightly due to covid but it's just starting to come back was around uh, maternity services and working with midwives and health visitors um around new parents and um What's really interesting to me. So I've got five children and um, so I, we, we've had some interactions with midwives and health visitors in our place and always exceptional. Um, the support that we've had, particularly the support and, and obviously and quite rightly the support around the baby yeah. and, and looking after the baby. And that's and that's right and proper. One of the things that we've found, though, as we've um, spoken with and engaged with lots of new parents is actually probably slightly less support around the well-being of the parents and advice around how to maintain well-being as a new parent. And, you know, typically our research has found that, and you can imagine it when you have a first child or a child in a family, um, it has an impact on your habits, your time, your ability to go and play netball with your friends or to go and play football on a Saturday or go go running three times a week, you know, that that it creates a new challenge and a new a new balance to find. Um, And so we started to do some work with midwives and health visitors and particularly the the managers of those services to say, well, how can we how could we layer in to our already excellent interactions with um, new parents more about looking after their physical and emotional health? through what is a really difficult time you know I, I think particularly for the parent staying at home in those early months and, and you know often that's the mom um, can be really isolating can be really difficult to get out of the house potentially um you know and and you know lots going on there um, and and you can form habits in that six or nine or 12 month period that then are hard to break so you might have been active before you might you might be inactive for six 12 months. Um, and then potentially onwards as you focus on taking your children to places and to sports clubs and to activities and before you know it 16 18 years has gone past and you can't remember the last time you exercised or did anything for yourself really Uh, and that's an easy easy habit to fall into I think that's probably a good example of these moments of change you don't don't necessarily decide to be inactive but just life changes and um, you prioritize different things and sometimes we don't get the right Support to prioritise our own well-being and amongst everything else. Um, now, one of the things that we found within our within those health teams was, um, I, I suppose, a challenge from the managers, the management of those services, who felt, yes, this is the right thing. Yes, we're bought into what a difference this could make. Um, but um, a, a challenge, really, of, and we never quite got to the bottom of it pre-COVID. That just the timing wasn't quite right, but um we're, we're returning to it now but one of the big kind of challenges was well, how would we operationalize that in the sense that you know a midwife might have 20 minutes on a home visit or or you know an appointment even less within the health center with so many things already on the checklist which which of those do you give up in order to spend more time talking about parent the parents well-being so that that was the challenge that i think being being open, we're still to address that. But what was really good was um, a sense of ambition within the team to say, yeah, we recognise. And I've been talking perhaps for a long time about um, supporting parents in a different way. Um, And so I think through our approach of, you know, kind of creative engagement, giving people the time and space to think, um, actually, us as a project team, I haven't, have never probably come up with many of the ideas that changes things. But by creating an environment and giving people the, the space to think, often they're able to come up with better ideas than we could have ever imagined about how things could be different. Um, and, and so that's, that's exciting and interesting. I think that probably pulls out just just final thing on this is, there's, that's one of the learning points that often very senior leaders um, recognise that things can be different and, and will be supportive of kind of culture change or behaviour change within an organisation. Um, and p- people on the ground recognise and want to do that and enjoy, and enjoy being more holistic. It can be challenging in that middle section in middle management to figure out those two pressures of, we not our, our staff haven't got the time to do more but we're getting pressure to do more from the top in some respects or to be different. And so the only solution to that is, is something different because often we can't do more. So we have to do something different in order to achieve a different outcome.
0: So I guess those examples you've given there, it's all about, yeah, moving from this person is interacting with the system to achieve a certain part of the process, the problem they've come to us with or the 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 life transition that they need help with the system is is set up to talk about that specific thing you know like the nurse going out and it's all about what the needs are of the baby rightly so but that's always been the process and is it almost like using a question about well-being a focus on a wider well-being is a way to therefore you know think about the wider person in that moment where they've lost their job, in that moment where they've got this huge life change of having a baby, like actually taking the the focus away from the specific process that's always been done to looking bigger with one, it could be one very open question about well-being that's added to the list. But I, I do take the point around the pressure on frontline, you know, service workers trying to deliver these very pressurized services at the moment. Um, but it's yeah, more of that, as you said at the very start, moving from process to wellbeing can unlock a whole lot more around you know improving a person's life chances and, and life experience which therefore reduces demand on the public services further downstream that's one way of maybe yeah. starting to unlock these resources isn't it mm. um yeah I, I, I just think that's a fascinating approach that that you guys are taking locally and I I really appreciate you coming and sharing those different in those three different settings uh, of schools looking for work and also you know having a baby they're three very universal settings that councils across the country will be involved in those services and it's it's great to sort of share your your learnings so far Um. so what we like to do on the podcast is is leave our listeners with practical help practical tips that they can take forward so for those councils and you know council officers, busy councillors listening to the podcast, what are your top three tips for others wanting to take this, you know, systemic approach to behaviour change, more about well-being than process, um, working in a different way with partners? What are your three top tips that to leave the listeners with?
1: Uh, only three. Only three, yeah, a tough one there for you can. Um uh, no, number one would be to take time and facilitate time for people to think. Um, give people the space, or take the space if you, you know, if you're control, in in control of your own kind of time. Um, you know, so for senior leaders, take time to really think about things in a different way, and, and then create that same space for others. And then connected to that, tip number two, I suppose, would be to get different. Get different voices in the room. So if you are a local government um, organisation, if you're a local council, um, bring in health partners, bring in the voluntary sector, bring in members of the communities, um, not with an agenda with 20 item points, but just to say, well, first of all, just to build relationships with each other, but then to explore a thing together, one thing. Mm, like might, a
0: behavioural challenge,
1: it, a yeah, yeah, like one of potentially one of these life course events, mm. and that probably is tip three. um f- Focus where systems and lives meet. It's so hard to interact with people on our agenda. It's very easy to interact with people when we're on their agenda and they're trying to interact with us. So when when you focus on where our services and people's lives meet, and then explore those with communities and with all of the partners that are around that moment. Don't think we can really discover some opportunities for change.
0: I think that's a great quote to finish on there. Let's focus on where public services and lives meet and go from there. That's that's fantastic, Ken. Thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you being with us on the podcast.
1: Oh thank you. Really enjoyed it.
0: So if you'd like to learn more about behavioral insights projects that you can try out in your council please do visit our website at www.local.gov.uk and search for Behavioural Insights where we have a host of other nudges for social good that you can learn from and use. Please do share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and thank you very much for listening.